On this episode of Warbird Radio Presents, we sit down with a Pearl Harbor survivor and former Hellcat pilot. Stay tuned. Warbird Radio Presents The Bob Batterson Story starts now. I was in the enlisted barracks uh, on the third deck of uh, this actually administration building, but there were about 20 of us sound asleep. It was Sunday morning, and uh, it's holiday routine, as it was for all the guys in those ships that were being bombed and strafed and torpedoed. Mm. So uh, it was an abrupt. Uh, uh, Reveille, but uh, it's just the way the Japs were those days that they they thought that this was one way that uh, they could start the war off in their favor, and it was uh, something that uh, I think that we should learn a great deal from. But so far, I haven't seen it happen. Well, we'll get into that too. You uh, just. So the guys and gals who are listening to this realize uh, what happened after after the attack. You something changed, and you decided to uh, to go fly. You saw those Japanese airplanes, and I guess something inside of you changed, and you said, "I want to get up there and fight with those guys." How, how did that How did that come to be? How did you become a Hellcat pilot? Well, no, it, it wasn't revenge. It was just a wonderful opportunity opened for enlisted personnel. Hmm. The Navy opened up the flight training program for enlisted, so I applied immediately. And it took about a year, and I started uh, flight training. But I certainly looked at it as an opportunity to get even with what those Japs did to us that morning. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I never, never had the opportunity to... uh, to get even as I would like to have done. What did you think of the Hellcat as an airplane? The Hellcat was an outstanding fighter plane. It counted for more Jap aircraft than any other aircraft in the Pacific. It uh, could take a beating. Uh, It brought back a lot of pilots who wouldn't have made it in uh, another aircraft, such as the Corsair. Mm-hmm. which was a beautiful plane but couldn't take the punishment. So the, the fact that uh, the plane accounted for more of the enemy aircraft than any other, I think indicates what kind of a plane it really was. Now, as far as the missions that you were flying on in, in the Hellcat, uh, you said you didn't get as close as you'd like to. Uh, what, what type of work were you doing? I know some of those guys were fire control, some of them were... Uh, other escort missions. What what were you uh, what were you involved in? Well, I was I was a member of. We were assigned to Fighter Squadron One aboard the USS Bennington, so we were in an operational fighter aircraft squadron. <clears throat> and the reason that we got out there before the war ended. Uh, since we were sitting in a replacement squadron in uh, at Barber's Point, which is about 10 miles from Pearl Harbor, 
the, uh, the attrition had been so low that there was a backlog and guys were just doing nothing but putting in mm -hmm. two or three flights a day, waiting to get orders to, <laughs> to a squadron. And then suddenly our squadron of six aircraft, team, it was a team, not a squadron, were given the, this special training in ship-to-shore bombardment. Hmm. And uh, we went through this for about a week and then immediately got orders to the Bennington. And we eventually ended up on Iwo Jima and uh, got a destroyer out of Iwo Jima hmm. to the Bennington. And uh, on our way to the, uh, the Bennington, in this can, we were told that the invasion was going to be in October of that year, and this was July. And uh, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so uh, we got aboard ship, and about uh, 15 minutes after we aboard ship, our squadron, our team leader, was called up to uh, see the captain. And he was, he caught hell for passing the information. Right. And we didn't know that everybody on board ship didn't know didn't about know. it. <laughs> so he said, you have now given this information to everyone. Everyone knows it now. And if one of them is shot down, including you, why well, you'll be tortured and you'll be told. You, you will tell. Uh, it, the secret would be known to the to the Japs. So, uh, but, but that was fact of life. Uh, we didn't know it was a secret until it happened, and then we we found out that we were going to be part of the invasion when it happened, and. Uh, until that time, we were going, the, my first combat hop was uh, uh, bombarding the USS Massachusetts, a, uh, one of the new battle wagons, uh, was uh, a part of a bombardment force that was going to take out a steel mill hmm. in Kamishi, that's northern Honshu. So my first combat hop was to stand by in case something happened to their aircraft, and uh, which that happened that uh, I was called in while I was circling, and uh, uh, was told that uh, this blue four, we need you. Our our plane is uh, down. Uh, let me know when you're over the target. And uh, it, it took a few minutes. And to realize I they were actually probably talking to you. Even. Yeah, well, <laughs> said, hey, this is it. This yeah. is great, you know. So I, I came down, and on the way, uh, uh, the first time I ever experienced in an aircraft uh, what a fire sounds like, <laughs> <laughs> and I quickly went up a little higher. But uh, it was a very, very uh, 
productive hop because those battle wagons are deadly. Mm. And this, the, the Massachusetts was 16 miles off the coast. I never did see her. Never you saw did. what she was doing, though. Yeah, I could see it. Because when we got set up, he'd give me a smoke, let me know, two seconds before the round hit. So I knew where they hit, you mm -hmm. see. In uh, setting up initially and then observing while they were doing the bombardment. And then uh, after that were a couple of fighter sweeps where we'd go out <clears throat> After, uh, excuse me, I'm getting dry. After we uh, were briefed, mm -hmm. after photo planes had taken pictures of planes that were being uh, hidden under trees, right. around buildings, uh, they were holding their aircraft for the invasion. So what we were doing is taking out as many of them as we could before the invasion occurred. So uh, that was it. And uh, of course, the big, the big day was going to be in October. And then suddenly, those two bombs were dropped uh, and uh, brought it to an end. And all I can say today is thank God we had Truman yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and not something that we have in that job today, because uh, I'm sure he agonized a little bit before he made that decision to drop those bombs. But he sure saved millions of lives, both Japanese and uh, American. It has been argued that we, that in, in doing so and in not invading, uh, Japan, that more Japanese were saved than Americans. I mean, that, oh, that's absolutely. Uh, they were dedicated from mm -hmm. children on up to, to defend their homeland mm -hmm. tenaciously, fiercely. There's no doubt that uh, many more Japanese were saved than uh, American life. And we were going to be on our own in that invasion. Mm -hmm. We were not going to have other nations back us up. Uh, it was a, our decision once it was made, and we were going to have to take, take it 100%. Where were you the day that the bombs were dropped? Do you remember that? Oh, I was aboard ship. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't flying. It was uh, really uh, uh, good news. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it was. <laughs> I'm sure there was probably some. <laughs> but uh, nothing uh, being in the air. Right. So, but one. Uh, yeah, the first one we had a fighter. The, the guys were out on a, a, a sweep, and I was not. I was in the ready room. Mm -hmm. I remember that one. It, it occurred when we had a strike. And I remember the, the, the uh, 
the fellows who uh, who were with, with with the skipper that fight, they said, mm. well, when the skipper said, uh, you guys just be alert. Don't don't assume anything mm. because they they may become more more aggressive as a result of that. So he wasn't quite sure. Right. But after that second one was dropped, we felt that that, that should do it. But we didn't have that authority. We just waited, <laughs> just waited for the best. Right. Just waited for the best. Well, you, we were talking before the interview started, and you said a lot of people ask you, well, what, did, what have we learned or what did you learn uh, in all of this? And uh, you, you made the comment to me. You said nothing. And I, I think that there's a lot of – I've heard that before. I've heard that from, from numerous people. And I'll, I'll let you – if you want to go into that a little bit, I'll let oh, you talk about uh, One of the, the things I thought about why stood – we were at this window. We had windows in the third deck of this building where the, the enlisted barracks were. And all I could think of is how in the hell could this happen? Mm -hmm. Because I'd been aboard a cruiser uh, up until uh, it was seven months, almost seven months to the day that I was transferred from that cruiser to shore duty there at Pearl Harbor. I'd made petty officer third <laughs> class. And uh, the... Uh, just like a miracle, I got orders to shore duty mm -hmm. at, in Hawaii. But before I left that cruiser, we had stripped ship. That meant all lifeboats had been taken off. There were no consumable stuff topside that could cause any kind of damage to personnel if a bomb or mm -hmm. shell hit. Uh, there were no movies at night. It was darkened ship every night. We were uh, general quarters frequently. We were ready. We were ready to fight the Japanese. And then to s stand there and see that happen, I could not understand how in the world could this happen. Mm. And uh, found out later that uh, it happened at Pearl Harbor, even though we were convinced, we, the Admiral, mm -hmm. Admiral Kimmel was convinced the Japanese would never strike us at Pearl because the water in front of those battleships was only 40 feet deep. And... Uh, the Japanese uh, torpedo doctrine is to drop torpedoes from 300 and go down 100 feet and rise then and go to the target. Well, obviously, if we only had 40 feet and they needed 100, we mm -hmm. didn't have to worry about it. That's the reason why these battleships, no, no torpedo nets around them. Mm -hmm. We had... About 150 naval vessels in this one area, in one port, which is utter stupidity. 
unless you're absolutely convinced they can never attack, hmm. because you don't give an enemy who you know you're going to fight. We knew we were going to fight the uh, the Lexington, which your your dad and I uh, serve aboard as a volunteer. It was built specifically to fight Japanese in the Pacific, and five of those were under construction before the Japs hit Pearl Harbor. Hmm. I mean, we knew we were going to, to meet with them eventually in mortal combat. So I compare the, the fallacious the stupid reasoning on the part of that admiral, similar to what we're doing today, mm. that there are people in this country, the vast majority of them have no idea what is happening internally. We are subjected to the same thing that's happening in France and in Germany and Spain and England, mm. where there is a slow, insidious progress being made by the Muslims and we are not doing anything that I can see to make sure that we are analyzing what they're doing trying to determine what it is that's happening there that we can preclude from not happening here I don't see it happening what I see is more concern about that we don't offend them then how can we get them to cooperate with us? And I say that we have 7 million Muslims in our country. Let's say only 10% are radical. Then let's use that huge number to work with the FBI, with security, and go after those radicals. But I don't see that happening. Now, it could be that if this were done and there was no reaction, positive reaction, that it'd be a problem. Well, the sooner we know about it, the better. But I don't see anything like that happening. It's mm. more precautionary. We've got to be careful. Mm -hmm. uh, so the Pearl Harbor, we assumed that one assumption. And uh, another assumption, an hour before, uh, before the attack started, one of our destroyers sank a Japanese submarine off the main entrance to Pearl Harbor, reported it to the <laughs> commander and fleet, commander to the, the duty officers, duty officer at the commander-in-chief fleet, St. Pack fleet, and uh, it was delayed, the information was delayed getting to the admiral because the captain was, who kept asking for more verification that it was a Japanese, was aware of this 40-foot syndrome we had, you see. They didn't imagine them modifying the torpedoes with the, uh, the oh, wooden fins at that no, point. It couldn't right? be. couldn't be. Mm -hmm. Something so simple. If he had been unaware of this, it, yeah. been, it might have been a different 
different uh, uh, result. It's interesting to make those comparisons. You know, you, you, I've, you're not the only one that, that has said that. And I've, I've often said it would be interesting to see uh, how the situation that we're in today would be handled uh, by the generation mm -hmm. and the generations that have come before us. Uh, although the one thing, I, and I've said this numerous times, the, the one thing I will agree with uh, the president on is I, I, don't, I think you no longer have to look to the past uh, for greatness. I think the men and women who we have over there right now, uh, an all-volunteer force, are really doing a terrific job. Yes, yes they are. Despite the vacillating, the, the, the talk that they hear mm -hmm. from the politicians, more concerned about the enemy than they are the, the troops. And uh, they've never backed them a hundred percent. Never. There's been some some reason why they got to hold back this or <laughs> question that. Right. Well, after after uh, all of this was said and done, you stayed in the Navy right? on a, on a, and uh, became an officer and uh, well, retired a captain. There was a long stretch there that happened after you know, well, Pearl Harbor and your days flying the Hellcat. What what did you well, do after that? What what did you do after in, in the later? and the rest of your career in the Navy? Oh, well, when I enlisted in the Navy, mm -hmm. uh, and this was during the, uh, still during the Depression, mm -hmm. and I was <laughs> in West Virginia, kid, and it was poor there. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, it was primarily to uh, to get into an organization where I thought I had some chance of, <laughs> of moving forward. So uh, I, I I guess I was a career man to begin with. Yeah, you had no intentions of ever getting out. <laughs> Just had to survive the war, I guess. As a matter of fact, I recall that, gee, if I can make chief, in 20 years and retire. Just think of that. <laughs> and uh, nope, no, no idea you'd be captain, huh? <laughs> no, oh no, no. I was very fortunate. Uh, I was given the opportunity to uh, several times in education. We had. Uh, a program, there was a program in the Navy and well throughout the armed forces that any reserve officer transferred to regular status was entitled to two and a half years of college mm -hmm. to bring him up to date to the same level as academy graduate. That was, mm -hmm. that was what was behind the program. Well, I got this opportunity. I went to Ohio State, and I came out with a degree. <laughs> I worked my rear end off. And my wife really helped me. We had three kids, four kids at that time. But uh, I thought it was an opportunity, and I am 
take full advantage of. Of course, I, I got as many credits as I could uh, for what I had taken in various courses in the Navy. I had gone to community colleges several times at night, get some hours, so all that added up. And then uh, I came out with a bachelor's degree from Ohio State, and then later uh, I was selected to go to the uh, PG school, postgraduate school in Monterey, mm -hmm. and came out with a master's in management. So uh, I was very fortunate that all I can give as advice to youngsters is when you uh, have a job, give it 100%, no matter whether you like it or not, mm. but give it 100%. You never know where it'll lead you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I can't thank you enough for uh, sitting down this morning and sharing some of this stuff with us. It's been a real pleasure to to get to hear the stories. Okay, it's my pleasure, Matt. That's all the time we have for this episode, but if you have a story idea or suggestion, just send us an email. Now stay tuned for more Warbird Radio. It's Ryan Keough from Warbird Information Exchange. Join us every Wednesday evening here on Warbird Radio for Wix Warbird Weekly Live, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, with rebroadcasts throughout the week. You've been on the Wix Internet Forum, one of the world's best for Internet Warbird discussion. Now we're coming to you live and on the air. Tune in, take off to discuss the hot topics in Warbirds around the world this week, along with our guests who are working hard to keep them flying well into the future. Call in, write in, or even Skype in to add your voice to the conversation. Wix wants to hear from you. Again, and that's Wix Warbird Weekly Live, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, only here on Warbird Radio. Hey, it's Matt from Warbird Radio Live, here to tell you that the new subscriber section on Warbird Radio is absolutely free. That's right, I said it, it's free. Everything is free. The podcast, the image galleries, it's all there, including the special offers, and it's all free. All you have to do is go to the website, warbirdradio.com, log in, and that's it. It's free. Username and password. We might send you an email or two here and there, but uh, it's something you'll want to get. And the best part is, it's all free. What are you waiting on? Sign up today. Warbird Radio Live, the new subscriber section, 100% free. Hi, this is Mike Chilson of the RC Scale Builder Show. If you're interested in radio control scale modeling, you should check us out at rcscalebuilder.com. It's a great community that offers build threads, tips and tricks, aircraft walkarounds, free plans, and much more. You can find us at www.rcscalebuilder.com. Hope to see you there. The RC Scale Builder Show broadcast weekly right here on Warbird Radio. This is Don Kennedy, host of Big Band Jump, a part of Warbird Radio. Tune in, take off with the excitement of Warbird Radio. You're strapped in. 